Welcome to People's Church Podcast. I'm privileged now. I transitioned out of our church pastoring years ago, almost seven years ago now, and so I get the opportunity to move about and speak in different places and travel to different uh, organizations, and uh, I'm thrilled to see what God is doing across the church. And I appreciate, I appreciate your emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Uh, last week, I attended a conference in Dallas, and I met with a pastor from Alberta and his daughter. And the conversation that we're having turned to the power of the Holy Spirit, and he asked me this question. He said, would you please tell me some of your experience with the Holy Spirit in the church and how it was evidenced in your generation? Well, it started a conversation that was intended to be about 15 minutes long because we had another session to go to in the conference. And as we were communicating back and forth, it awakened such a hunger in me for a greater evidence of Holy Spirit with power in our churches and in our lives. It is interesting to note if you go look up power in your concordance, you'll find out that there are over 270 references to power in the Scriptures. And our best example is, of course, Jesus Christ. In Matthew 3, verses 15 to 17, it talks about the baptism of Christ when He went to the Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist. John had previously said, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming that's going to baptize you with fire. He said, I'm not even worthy to take the shoes off his feet. And while he is speaking to the people and challenging them, John the Baptist was a radical speaker and one that had no appetite for religion whatsoever. It was all about relationship with God. And then we see as Jesus comes up to the Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist, we see there, I think, the only time in the Scripture where we see the three persons of the Godhead manifest simultaneously. We see Jesus, the Son of God. We see God in the Son, in the water. We see God the Father speaking out of heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And we see God the Holy Spirit descending as a dove upon Jesus. The symbolism there is often used today uh, in logos, in artwork to announce the Holy Spirit is here. 
we relate to the Holy Spirit. And I remind you today that Christianity is the only faith, the only faith that has this person and recognizes the person of the Holy Spirit. The Sikhs don't have it. The Muslims don't have it. The Buddhists don't have it. Christians do. I often refer to it as the Christian advantage. And so we see Jesus baptized the voice out of heaven, the dove descending. What an incredible encounter that took place that day at that time. And what a privilege to be there to experience it. After he is baptized, the scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Note that, by the Spirit. He didn't go on his own initiative. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Luke chapter 4 verse 1 mentions the same scripture and it uses this terminology, Jesus full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. It mentions the Spirit twice there. And then when we advance to Luke chapter 4 verse 14, there's something that you'll notice there that is significant and it says, and Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Now note, it was, there's a differential here because before he was led by the Spirit. Now he comes out of that temptation experience where he overcame Satan. It tells us three different trials that he faced in the scripture where he overcame Satan with the word. Now it says that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through all the surrounding district. In other words, when Christ came out of this experience and started visiting the temples and the synagogues, there was such a stir because there was a supernatural power upon him to change lives, to set people free, to deliver people that were bound, to let the oppressed go free. Christ was now operating in dunamis power. Then he goes back to Nazareth, the town where he was raised as a child, and he goes to a synagogue there, or a temple, and he is invited to read the scripture that day. They had a, a custom of reading the scripture and they would take the scrolls or the books as however they had them in those days. And Christ was given the opportunity to read the scripture. And the scripture reading that day was from Isaiah 61. It's a familiar portion of scripture. We read it often. And so Christ took the scroll and he stood to read and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me 
because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Then the Bible goes on to say, and he closed the book and sat down. And here's what I enjoy about the scripture. And all the people were looking at him and amazed. They were amazed at the gracious words that he was speaking. What was different? They had heard that scripture repeatedly. Dozens, perhaps even for some of them hundreds of times. And it had been read over and over again. They were familiar with it. Probably many of the people had it memorized. Maybe some of you do today. But it says that when he read that scripture, that every eye was upon him. What had happened? It was the first time in that temple that somebody came, read that scripture with the power of the Holy Spirit upon them. And it pricked their heart. It got into their spirit. It confronted them because there was an encounter with God. An encounter with Holy Spirit. Christ's ministry was launched with power. And from that day forward, after his baptism and his overcoming of Satan in the wilderness, Christ operated in a change, chain of power encounters that was evidenced in miracles, anointed preaching, compassion, confrontations. People were delivered of oppression, set free from every imaginable kind of sickness and bondage, even people raised from the dead. That's power. In my experience, pastor has given me permission to share some personal experience. The greatest benefits of the Holy Spirit is the ability to hear from God. The authority that you have to speak the word and the power to overcome all the work of the enemy that is designed to come against the believer. I'm going to take a moment to share some of my Holy Spirit encounters, and I hope that it's an encouragement to you. And in doing so, in expressing this to you, it is to somehow stir within you a hunger and a desire for that same Holy Spirit to operate in your life. These Holy Spirit encounters really begin with a youth camp that I attended at 13 years of age. The youth was, camp was here in Alberta. 
in a place called Pigeon Lake, and the camp was just about as nice as the name is. Thirteen years of age, and different pastors and people came. I'm so thankful for the work that they did to bring young people into an encounter with God. There was two speakers there at that time, one by the name of Ed Breitkreitz, which was a cousin of mine, married to my cousin. The other was Cameron Fontaine. Cameron Fontaine is the father of Leon Fontaine, who recently tragically passed away. They had been speaking about the power of the Holy Spirit. And they gave opportunity this one night to the young, for the young people to come. I would say there was probably 45, maybe 50 young people there at the time. And we all began that night after they had spoken to seek for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. In our tradition at that time, our understanding was that there was a encounter with the Holy Spirit that was distinct and separate from salvation. That was our understanding. That's the way we understood it. And according to the scripture, with the understanding of the day of Pentecost and the Spirit being poured out. Well, we were all quite moved by the message that night, and then we all came to the altars and were invited to have prayer, and we did. And then, uh, just to explain that our understanding at that time was, if you wanted the Holy Spirit, you would tarry meaning that you would pray at length. Uh, it was almost like a custom for us. So we begin to tarry. Now we're young people, 13 years old, and we're tarrying. Service started at 7. At 9, we're still tarrying. At 10, we're still praying. Kneeling in that sawdust, that damp floor, praying. 10.30, we're still praying. Half the crowd has left. 11 o'clock, we're still praying. There's a dozen of us there praying. Ed Breitkreitz, Cameron Fontaine remained with us. At 11.30, we're still praying. Now there's about 10 of us. About a quarter to 12, kneeling next to me was a friend of mine from my hometown, Trevor Solback, and suddenly he has a Holy Spirit encounter. And it was visible, it was loud, and I could tell that something had happened in Trevor's life. And I was frustrated because why him before me? After all, my dad was the preacher, not his dad. His dad was a businessman. My dad was a preacher. Come on. And then over on the other side, somebody else had the encounter. Now, not 
let me explain to you, we weren't skilled. We didn't understand how to respond to this. We got noisy, but we knew we were interacting with this spirit called Holy Spirit, part of the Godhead. It was supernatural. Quarter after 12, I'm now getting frustrated. Five of my friends are experiencing this encounter with the Holy Spirit, and I'm still deadpan. Frustrated, angry, and then suddenly I realized perhaps, perhaps if Cameron Fontaine would come and put his hand on me, maybe something would happen. So I start watching him. Well, he went to everybody in the place except me. And I was getting more and more frustrated, more anxious, and when I was just about at the point where I was going to say, well, I guess it's not for me. Maybe I'm not supposed to have this experience. At least not tonight. And while I'm thinking this, a hand comes on my shoulder and all of a sudden, the presence of God comes upon me until I was so overwhelmed with his anointing that I couldn't contain it. I think I would have embarrassed people there. I was loud. I was noisy. I was excited. I was so overwhelmed and there was such an overflowing of emotion and delight in the presence of God. And we were still there at 2 o'clock in the morning rejoicing in God. 13-year-old children. Well, it was life-changing. What a moment. What an experience. And I came out of that experience knowing that there is a Holy Spirit, that he has power to overwhelm even children and able to fill them and empower them. The next day, it's lunchtime. And we're going over to the dining hall. And I notice beside the dining hall, there's a disturbance. I was curious about this. I noticed some of the camp counselors were there, some of the ministers. My pastor was there. And they're gathered around looking at this girl on the ground having a seizure. I'd never witnessed that before. I'd never seen anybody have a seizure. And it was foreign to me and it was scary. And here's this girl convulsing frothing at the mouth, and it, it startled me. And then I'm looking at these counselors, I guess four or five of them around, maybe six, as my memory serves me, and, they're, and they're, it's like they're confused. They don't know what to do. And I'm thinking, isn't somebody going to pray for her? Isn't that what we believe in? Isn't that, isn't that what we been teaching in our churches about the healing power of God, about his ability to deliver, his ability to set free. Isn't, isn't that what this is about? And uh, still, nobody was moving. Finally, as I recollect in my memory, I pushed myself between two of the ministers. 
went over there, put my hand on the girl's head. I had the same impression that I had that night before at two o'clock in the morning. And as I did that, the power of God went through me and she sat up and the convulsing stopped. <laughs> 13 years old. I didn't have a choir there. I didn't have organ music. I didn't have any of that. All I had, I didn't have a great band like this. It was just us out in this dumpy camp and a girl having a seizure. But in that moment, I realized there's something about the power of God that is there to set people free and he'll even use an insecure teenager that doesn't understand how to function, but is willing to pray. Wow. Well, fast forward to 1994. I was pastoring at a church in Calgary called Jubilee Christian Center, and we had undertaken to build an orphanage in Puebla, Mexico. Puebla is a city of about one and a half million people, about a two and a half hour drive from Mexico City. Uh, it is where the Volkswagen plant is for America. If you drive a Volkswagen, it was built, likely built in Puebla, Mexico. And we had gone there to be involved uh, in this church, providing them with, with an orphanage. And so we had this board meeting that was scheduled to be in Dana Point, California. Dana Point is south of Los Angeles. It's right on the ocean. There's a number of luxury hotels there. And the group that we were meeting with owned property for this, where this orphanage was supposed to be built and so we were there to negotiate with them to get that property so that we could construct this orphanage. At the same time, our youth, there's 14 of our youth group from our church, were scheduled to go to Scotland. They were going there on a missions trip. The cost, as I recall, was about $2,500 a person to go to this church in Scotland to assist them. So it was an outreach and we had been encouraging the church and that Sunday, this was a Friday, and that Sunday was the last day to get their funds in so that we could get airfare at a deal for them to go to Scotland. Well, this was kind of on my mind when I was going to this board meeting. My uh, my business administrator was with me, and we'd rented a car, and we got up to our hotel. And I'm taking my luggage up to my room, and I went up to the room, and I had a, a bag at that time, a suit bag. I would hang my clothes, and sometimes they'd allow me to hang it on, on the uh, coat rack in the plane. I was, uh, I'm a bit fussy about my clothing, and so... That was the first thing I would do. That was my custom. I would open my soup bag and set it on the bed, unzip it, 
go hang my clothes. So I went out and, and I took my suit bag, I unbuckled it, took it, and threw it to land on the bed and then unzip it. Well, it's like I threw it and it's like everything went still frame. It's like it just suspended in the air. That's the way I see it in my imagination. It's just like it's floating there and I hear this word. Send Vanessa a thousand dollars. And I'm going, where did that come from? Well, Vanessa was one of the students going to Scotland. So I thought, well, that's strange. And just like that, I answered Holy Spirit and said, I don't have a thousand dollars. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I don't know if you have this kind of encounters with the Holy Spirit. That's how it happened with me that day. I began to have an argument. Uh, a word of caution, don't argue with the Holy Spirit, he wins every time. <laughs> so, I said, I don't have a, a thousand dollars. He says, yes, you do. I said, no, I don't. He says, you've got an RSP. Yeah, but that's for later on, and if I cash that in, uh, I'll lose interest. And I didn't know the Holy Spirit talked this way, but he said to me, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if you lose interest. I want you to give Vanessa $1,000. Now, this was so real in my emotion and my understanding, I had come to recognize that voice, and so I said, okay, okay. I pick up my phone and I phone Ed. I said, Ed, that's Vanessa's father. I said, let Vanessa know, please, that I'm sending her $1,000 for her trip. And it's like, there was no response. I'm going, Ed? He says, Phil, he says, you wouldn't believe it. When we originally started raising money for the Scotland trip, I told Vanessa, if you're going to go, you're raising the money yourself. I could give it to you, but I want you to raise it. I want God to provide for you. He said, so far she's raised $1,500. Tomorrow's the deadline. And I told her she's probably not going. She was so disappointed. And then... God calls on me to cash in an RSP so that Vanessa can go to Scotland. Well, a week later, we're having a prayer meeting at the church to pray for the team that's going to Scotland. And they're lined up. I think there's 14 of them. And there's different ones of us praying, and I come along the line, and I come to Vanessa, and I take her hands to pray for her. And I say, God will use these hands to heal the sick. Just like that. Moved on. Prayed for somebody else. Well, the team goes to Scotland. They get there. They don't know totally what their agenda is going to be. They're working with another mission team. And they find out 
that there's a church building a coffee house. Scotland was in the middle, at least the town they were in was in the middle of a drug crisis in that city and a lot of problems with drugs and overdoses, etc. And the church decided to build the coffee house in the center of town where all the drug traffic was and they were bringing, they were going to open up this place and minister to young people. So they go in there painting, they're cleaning up the place and doing some repairs, etc. And my son notices, he was leading the group, he notices this guy going through the coffee house, going through the building and going upstairs to an apartment. And as they're working there, he noticed lots of traffic going back up and down. So he puts it all together and says, ah, we got a dealer upstairs. Well, one day this guy doesn't have much traffic and he comes down, he starts talking to my son. He says, what are you doing here? And he says, well, we're working with the church. We're building a coffee house. We're getting it fixed up so that they can uh, encourage young people, help them with addictions, etc." Guy rolls his eye. He says, oh yeah? He says, you know, we used to be involved in a church. Son says, oh yeah? He said, yeah. He says, but my sister had a problem. I forget what the condition was, but she went blind in one eye. And he said, you know, we went to that church and they didn't do anything for her. She never, they prayed, but nothing ever happened. And then he put out the challenge. He said, you know what? If God would open her eye, my whole family would come back. This is a drug dealer. So my son said something that I never would have dared say. He said, well, bring her. We'll pray for her. So the next day, they come. The whole family comes. I forget how many. And you know, again... You're just in a, house, in a small room that's being fixed up to be a coffee house, to be a place to get people off of drugs. So the whole team gathers around. This beautiful young girl comes in blind in one eye. And when you know it, Vanessa. You'll have to excuse my emotion. Takes hold of her hands, along with the team around her. Her eye opens. The entire family responds and says, we're coming back to Christ. A thousand bucks. That's all it took. Cash in an RSP. Send this girl to Scotland. See what happens. Fast forward now to 2019. Let's back that up, 2016. I was in Ethiopia on my third trip. And we were there to uh, 
minister at a conference. It was a large conference, 30,000 people. We were, uh, we were there. I wonder if somebody can help me with a tissue. I've got a bit of a, a bit of a uh, sinus going on. Thank you, sir. He knows me. He gives me three. You know something that bothers me? With my confession. Whenever, thanks pastor, whenever I'm on track with Holy Spirit, I get emotional. Drives me crazy. I don't, I don't want to be that way. But it happens. So we're in Ethiopia. We're in our hotel and I'm meeting together with the minister that is organizing the whole conference. And we're having conversation over lunch. Then I hear that voice. It says, ask if there's anybody that needs help with an orphanage or a school. Well, I didn't want to have an argument again, so I said, okay. His name is Dr. Tolesa. I turned to him and I said, do you know of anybody in Ethiopia? I mean, this is like a dumb question about Ethiopia. Is there anybody that needs financial help with a, with a school or with an orphanage? And he says, oh, I'm sure there's somebody. We'll, he says, uh, I'll look around for you and we'll see if we can find somebody that can use some help. And then a gentleman walks up and he's kind of awkward. He's not well-dressed. Uh, and he comes and stands at our table and he's apologetic. And, and he turns to Telesa and he says, do you remember me? He's drawing a blank. No, I don't. He reaches in his wallet and pulls out a faded old raggedy picture and hands it to him. It's the two of them in school when they were in the fifth grade. So Telesa gets all excited. He's a very, very uh, gracious man. So he, he says, oh, Mengisha. Mengisha is the man's name. Oh, I'm so pleased to meet you. Why are you here? He says, well, I wanted you to know. He says, I, was, I heard you were here at the Hilton and I wanted to meet you. Renew our acquaintance. So he says, I'm here. And well, Telesa says, well, Mangesha, what are you doing? And he says, well, uh, I've got a school for orphan children. Go figure. I said, interesting. We had some conversation. I said, could I, uh, could I meet you tonight in my hotel room and we can talk about what you're doing with children? He said, yes, I'll come. So at 8 o'clock, there's a knock on my door. I had a team of five with us from our church in Calgary. And I had a, had a room that had a coffee table in it and in a sitting area. It was comfortable that way. And uh, here he comes with his whole family, his wife and four children. 
And they come in and he's got some awful looking brochures and a funny budget. And he's wanting to make a presentation. And my team, a couple of them are business leaders and they're looking at this budget and they're beginning to pick it apart and I'm getting angry. Finally I said, guys, we're not here to examine a budget, we're here to help a, ch a children's school. Let's hear what they have to say. They come and they make their presentation. And then, Mangisha says, we've got to go now, would you, is it okay if we have prayer? And I said, well, yeah, of course, of course we'd like to have prayer. So we stand in a circle and we hold hands. I don't know why Christians do that, but anyway. <laughs> Bugs me, to be honest with you. <laughs> Holding hands. So we do that. And he prays and one of us pay a polite prayer. Then he turns to me and he says, my wife would like to pray in her language. She doesn't understand English. She'd like to pray in her language. I said, well, of course. And then, so she nods, and then she goes to her knees. And then her whole family go to her knees. Little children there lined up like ducks. And they're all praying. Well, what do you do? So we go to our knees. And she begins to pray. And suddenly, like that, the presence of God comes in the room. And while she's praying, her name is Freyeth. While Freyeth is praying, suddenly she puts her face right in the carpet and begins to sob just wailing and we're all overwhelmed I'm looking at my team they're all a mess crying and then I hear the word you're her last chance we find out that her husband and her had sold their car they had sold their house They'd put everything into this school. They were out of money. And they were closing the school that week. 110 children. So after we finished, I didn't say anything to the team at that time. We made an appointment to go and see the school the next day. And I said, I think they've taken a taxi over here. Let's help them get home. While everybody was so moved, we emptied our pockets. I think they went home with $2,000. And we went the next day. We observed what they were doing. I think we emptied everything that we had. We left them with seven or $8,000. And it pushed them over the top. And that school exists today with over 200 children that are doing. And by the way, it spawned another school. 
outside of Addis Ababa, where we have 300 children, named after my daughter, Lindsay's Hope. And that school is going today in the middle of a tribal conflict between tribes and the government. In fact, in fact, our administrator, whom your pastor has met, is presently in Edmonton because he had to escape for his life. We are still feeding and clothing 300 children. We send the money off every month, and your church has been very kind to help us with that. One word. We heard it in the song you sang today. One word can change it. The word was, you're her last chance. So when I say to you that one of the things that I appreciate most about the Holy Spirit is able to hear a word and to get an instruction. And I realize it's not about me because the word generally costs me something. But it's for others. So I choose to conclude today with three scriptures. One of them is very familiar. I'm sure you all know it. You've probably heard it in recent days. Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And that spectacular day, the day of Pentecost, after they had tarried, and they met in that upper room, 120 of them, and suddenly there was a great outpouring, sound of a mighty rushing wind, and fire upon each head. I don't know what I would do with that. I know it was pretty pretty amazing because like when Christ stood in the temple, when they went out into the street, the whole town was shook up. 5,000 came to Christ. What an amazing encounter. Then the second scripture I would leave with you is Acts 2.38, where Peter gets up and he instructs them and he says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then here's the clincher. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, future generations, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. As many. That's you. That's me. That's our children, my grandchildren. All who are called of the Lord. So the infilling of the Holy Spirit is not just for a select few. 
It's not just for the apostles in the days of Jesus Christ. It is for as many as are afar off. And then my favorite scripture, Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that works in us. Now the scripture that I don't have a slide for says... says, if this same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, it will quicken. Quicken there means make alive. It will make alive your mortal body, this flesh. It'll cause you to do things like cash in RSPs. It'll cause you to do things like have prayer meetings, awkward prayer meetings, holding hands in Ethiopia so that schools can start. It'll cause you to do strange things like anoint people and watch them become healed by the power of the living God. And it's available. Here's, here's my message to you today. If you don't remember anything else that I say, remember this. And it's for everyone. You don't have to go to college for 12 years to get a degree. You can use it today. It's God's power. And it's given to everyone to profit with all. He wants to use you. Final story. We were pastoring in Penticton some years ago. They built a beautiful new hotel right on the water, Penticton Lake, Delta Hotel. And we would frequent it on Sunday after the service. And uh, I went in one day on a Sunday. In those days, we used to wear suits and dress up, shirt and tie, etc. And anyway, we went in to have lunch. And I noticed on the marquee that there's a doctor's convention there. And the place was busy. I, I see all these professional people walking around dressed up. And as we're waiting to get seated at our table, and we're standing in line waiting, a doctor and his wife come up behind me, very professional looking. She's a Barbie, a beautiful woman. And he's holding a little girl. And I look at her and she's flushed with a fever. She's just red. Holy Spirit says, pray for her. And I said, nah, he's professional. He makes more money in a week than I make in a year. He's a doctor. Holy Spirit says, pray for her. No, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. Well, you're a pastor. Well, the fact is I didn't pray for her. I regret it to this day. What might have happened? What's the worst that could happen? Nothing. 
What's the best that could happen? Who knows? Eight years ago, we're in Hawaii on vacation. I love outside door, outdoor restaurants, and we're sitting there, ordered our breakfast. A girl comes over, and she's going to wait on us, and I said, so good to see you. How are you today? And she says, oh, I'm so sick. She says, my head's all stuffed up, all messed up. I just, I don't know if I should go home or what. And the Word says, pray for her. Ha-ha. <laughs> So I looked at her and I said, you know what, I'm a minister. I'm a Christian, I am a believer. I've seen people healed. That I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'll just stand here and look at each other like you're taking my order, but would I be able to pray? Yeah, please pray. So we just took her hand, prayed for her. Didn't pay any more attention to it. Came back to the same restaurant the next day. My wife goes to use the washroom and she's walking past the serving counter and she hears a waitress say, there, there's that guy that heals people. There's the guy that heals people. It can happen with you. Can happen with anyone, it can happen with a 13 year old that sets a person free from a seizure. I'd like the pastor to come, and I'm just hungry that you might all experience something of that power, whether it happened today or tomorrow or on the job next week, or when you're picking up your dry cleaning, or somebody's selling you something that's Safeway, people need the Holy Spirit. And He needs a vessel. And I'm praying that you'll be one of them. That's good. Thank you. Just stay with me here. <clears throat> It's kind of incredible how, as Christians, we are so comfortable with the corporate experience of the Holy Spirit or of God. For instance, the encounter of God. For instance, Jesus coming. We're into the Advent season. God encountering us. We get comfortable with that. But when we individualize it, and then we say, this is for you. Jesus didn't come just as a public, one-time corporate. He has come individually. And his power is meant to be lived out in the individual lives of people who have placed their faith in him for their salvation and for what God wants to use their life for. That to me is quite an amazing thing that the moment we start talking personally about it, how we can get uncomfortable. You've experienced that, I know, with being a teacher for many, many years. What do you think of that? I think there are several things that happen there. Number one, there's a force that doesn't want believers to be used. 
If Satan can't keep you out of church, at least he'll do everything he can to keep you from being effective. That's the number one reason. Number two is our own humanity. We want professionals to do it. We want skilled people to do it. But maybe he needs an awkward 13-year-old kid that's overweight and insecure to speak the word. The professionals didn't do it. And maybe I was quote-unquote professional in Hawaii. I don't know, but it worked. Mm. So embracing it, embracing the work of the Holy Spirit, His presence, His power in our life is something that we don't need the formal priest to do for us. This is something between you and God. Exactly. It's scary. Honestly, it is. There's no, it's not easy. It's easier for me now after years and years. But it's still scary. And I still do it in restaurants and wherever I go. And when you have a professional relationship with somebody, a dentist, a lawyer, then it's really scary. But I've never had one person turn down prayer. Never. There is a fear and an attraction at the same time that seem to walk together in these things. An attraction that the Lord would be more real to us, that we could experience Him more personally and powerfully. But a fear at the same time, maybe a fear that goes to where your story went with, well, maybe it's not for me, or maybe a fear that's more, maybe it's for me, but what does that mean for me? That surrender, that sense of there's going to be this personal experience of saying, like you did to that lady that was taking your order, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I would like to pray for you, and I'm going to do that. And that's where uncomfortable situations, even with others, of obedience and surrender, that, that brings a discomfort often. But yet the Holy Spirit is very commonly doing that in the lives that will welcome His work. You, uh, you used a key word, surrender. When I'm submitted to God, when we are submitted to God, we give Him permission. Use me, however you choose. And, and it opens up things. You read, you read the stories throughout the Scripture. Amazing stuff. And there was no set formula. It's not this way today. It, it, God always used people, and it was with a word. And how do we describe that? How do I describe a vision to you? Well, I can give you all a vision right now, right this minute. I'll give you your vision. Draw me a picture of your kitchen. And all of a sudden in your mind, you're seeing your kitchen. You can tell me where the stove is, where the refrigerator is. 
where the counter is. It's all because of vision. That's the way vision happens. And hearing a word from God is just that simple. It just comes all of a sudden. There it is. Call so-and-so. And I do that so many times and I've had people break down on the phone and just wail because call Andrew. Ask him how his knee surgery went. I pray for him on the phone and he begins to sob. So we could say, the greater the reality of God that you are experiencing, the greater the reality that people will experience because you will connect that reality to their reality. That's so true. <clears throat> Let's stand together. Mm-hmm. Here's what we're going to do. Um, today, nothing. <clears throat> we're coming into December. Either five Sundays in December. And each Sunday in December, I'm going to prepare two prayer teams here at the altar. And if you have that a week from now, stir, or two weeks from now, and you have that stirring in you, that desire for the Holy Spirit's engagement of your life, for you to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, for whatever it might be, maybe it's just the experience of Him Or maybe it's a need that you have in your life that you want prayer with and for. Those prayer teams will take that to prayer with you and pray for you over the next five Sundays at the close of the service. Mm -hmm. At the close of the service. And you'll just hang around and make your way to one of those prayer teams and then they will pray for you. Get your heart ready. Ready your heart. He's ready to ready your heart. (laughs) But it takes a hunger and it takes a surrender. You want more of God? You're going to have to give him more of you. Fathers, we pause in your presence and again just bow our heads before you. What an exceptional thought that your reality Lord, you want to make it very, very great in our life. Daily, the presence of Jesus working in and through us. So today, Lord, we're going to pause and ask that you will work in our hearts to prepare what kind of encounter you want to bring to each person and stir our hearts. And I thank you, Lord, that the Christian faith is not just an amazing corporate experience, but it is an individual experience engaging daily within this power that you bring through your spirit into our lives. So ready our hearts, and may this be a month of many having this kind of encounter in the way in which you want them to and that their hearts are surrendered to. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that was here upon my brother as he spoke. Thank you for what we've learned. Now prepare us for what you will do. 
In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call, 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com. Thank you.